Before we get to today's podcast, I want to talk about Sunday's podcast. And the whole podcast with Bill on Sunday was a miss on my part. I did a bad job, and I'm going to talk about some of those things now. The first problem was that I should not have been the voice that you heard from. You needed somebody with a better perspective, a different life perspective on everything that this country just went through in the past week. I was not that person, and that was a mistake. The second part is my tone sucked um, throughout most of that first 40 minutes. And when I went back and listened, I go, okay, this is a problem. You sound like you're more disappointed. You sound more angered by looters than you do the fact that a police officer murdered George Floyd, the whole reason why we were here to begin with. And the mistake that you can make when you do the podcast, at least with Bill and I, because we've been doing it a while, we've known each other a long time, is that we can become very casual, just two guys talking, forgetting that all of these people are listening to you. And I can't make the assumption that, of course, they know I'm more upset about George Floyd than I am just people stealing from stores. But that's not the way it came off. And it was a terrible assumption for me to make because I come off in the podcast as if I don't get it at all. And so I understand that criticism. And again, I'm sorry for that. And finally, just the execution. I pride myself on always trying to figure out ways to talk about different topics and maybe make it more complicated and add my flaws and be vulnerable and admit to some things and go, well, what about this? Maybe we should think about this mindset. That's that's a miss and I shouldn't have done it. And it was it was a really poor job on my part of trying to add all these different elements to a discussion where sometimes the discussion is very straightforward. And it's getting people to wake up to what's happening in this country. So all I can ask is uh, that, you, that you trust I'll get better because I believe I will. So thanks. Today's episode of the Ryan Russillo Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Um, I'd actually go with the not unexpected on 22 teams instead of 30 teams. And there's a way of arguing it's safer. You get some of these teams that are 70 regular season games. It's something we've been talking about the whole time. And for the teams that didn't win more than 20-something games and you're left out, uh, there's just not going to be a ton of sympathy for you. I mean, you were a bad basketball team. So the season is moving on without you. Get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today. And, ooh, Raising Cane's pre-roll. Exciting. The best chicken finger meals made from fresh ingredients. That's what they're serving up hot in their kitchens at Raising Cane's. Say why you are a huge fan of Raising Cane's personally. Raising Cane's uses premium chicken breast tenderloins to make their most tender chicken fingers possible. And since the best chicken finger meals are hand-battered, when you order, that's what you'll find at Raising Cane's. At Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers, quality isn't complicated and their menu is proof. Stop by today. Let's try to figure out if we're having a college football season or which version of college football we will have. From The Athletic, it's Bruce Feldman and also Fox Sports. And from The Athletic, Andy Staples, uh, hanging out. Excited to talk football with these guys. Andy, let's start with you. Reading through everything the last couple months, it's gone from we have no idea to far more optimistic. How have you seen this? When have you seen this kind of change? I feel like it started to turn about three weeks to a month ago, where before it was, okay, are they going to have a season? If they do have a season, is it going to be delayed? Is it going to be started in the spring? Because you, you could be reasonably confident they were going to have a season during the school year at some point, but the school year goes from, from August to May. So you knew they had to have a football season or basically a lot of these athletic departments are shutting down. So when were they going to do it was the question. And I think about three weeks ago, you started to figure out, okay, they are starting to feel confident that they can get players back by 
late June, early July. They can have them practice. They can probably play games as scheduled. Now, who gets to go to those games is another, another story entirely. That's a conversation that, that they're not having yet because, you know, remember, it's, it's not a case where they can go in a bubble. Like the University of Minnesota can't go play home games in Orlando. <laughs> they're going to be in Minnesota. So, uh, you know, they, they've got to figure that part out, and it's going to depend on each state. You know, do they let anybody in? Do they let a limited capacity in? Do they let everybody in? And that part we're not going to find out about probably for another month or so. I'd agree with Andy. Uh, maybe the timing was, was similar in terms of you're like, okay, I think there's optimism and they're going to move forward. And I know you, from talking to people within college football, one of the things that's come up a lot is, look, anybody could tell you with certainty of something, they're lying to you because nobody really knows where this is going to head. But the more information, the more data that comes in, the better it is. We don't need to actually have decisions uh, by May 1st or anything like that. And then it kind of moved forward. Now, the, the hardest part of this, is especially talking to people in the last two weeks, has been what are the procedures? What are the protocols? What are the contingencies going to be in place? How are they going to handle testing? Uh, it's not going to be uniform. Obviously, as, as you and your listeners know, college football is not run the way other sports are run. It is very fractured and fragmented and regionalized. Uh, the, the tricky parts of this, I think, are going to happen where the Pac-12 is saying, okay, we're going to – players are going to report. Everyone's going to report. We're gonna, they're going to be tested. And they're talking about testing as a continuing policy. What's going to happen? I asked Neil Brown this, the coach of West Virginia. What do you think happens when maybe you play somebody out of your conference that hasn't had any, that hasn't tested players or only looking at symptomatic uh, cases? And then all of a sudden, it's like it's not like golf here. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a lot of dudes who are in close quarters, and it's a physical sport. Um, and I think a lot of people will say, okay, well, that's only 18 to 22 year olds, and as we've seen from the numbers, those are the people who you know, it seemed to be very, very low risk. The, the tricky part of this is, and, and this is something you hear from coaches, there's a bunch of guys on staffs who are 60 and up. Many of them are not in the greatest physical shape to begin with. And so I think when you hear about, well, this could be a rocky path on things, it's like, what are the things that may, may cause delays? Is it a quarterback room that all test positive and they can't play even though they may be asymptomatic or have you know some you know no one's at least hospitalized or is it some older coaches who are who are reeling from it or it's you know we don't really know what the thresholds of this are going to be once we once we really get into it but i do think you know people are you know resigned to the fact that we just can't sit back and cross our fingers and not do anything because i think that's the hardest part for people in the middle of this yeah, Ryan, I was talking to Joe Castiglione, the Oklahoma AD, the other day, and, and he was talking about the rabbit hole you go down when it comes to trying to figure out the protocols for what if somebody tests positive on one team? What, it, what do you do? Is it a no contest? Is it a forfeit? Do you, and, and it's really, I think they, they kind of believe if it's one person, they can deal with it. You isolate that person from the team. The rest of the team's fine. Go play. But when you get into multiple people, then you get into multiple different opinions about how to handle it. And, and Bruce mentioned, you know, what if one team tests one way and another team tests another way? Are you going to play that way? And uh, Mike Oresco, the, the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, said that's going to be a big stumbling block where, you know, 
because he he's going to have a protocol in his league for what they do. And then what if there's a visiting team coming in that has a different protocol and they don't feel like that's up to snuff? I think there, there's going to have to be communication between teams, even outside of conferences, saying, hey, look, if you want to come play here, we need you to do this and this and this. Yeah, I was reading your piece in in the podcast that you had with Castiglione where it was it was funny because immediately you think of the competitive nature of it. It's like, wait a minute, this guy's going to put it off until July 1st? Like, wait a minute, doesn't that mean that you're going to be two weeks behind and all this stuff? And I love that Joe was like, yeah, you know what? It's probably not the big deal because as you point out, and I don't know that I even knew the hours, but in June in these voluntary times, it's eight hours tops that week, and yeah. that includes lifting. So you're thinking, and that's right, not well, even eight. allowed right now. Right, right. So you know what is what is Joe Casiglione really getting behind on for the for the OU program? I think the the majority of this, though, I I kind of want to examine over the next few minutes the difference culturally on the planning. And we mm-hmm. can just look at the country and look at states and Florida and how this has become political. And then, all right, this part of the country is like, all right, we're open for business and other parts aren't. So how different has this been for, let's say, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, who very early on were like, we're opening up classes this fall, which also leads to the debate that different programs have had about, can we have football without students? And then that becomes kind of a gray area, guys. And then the SEC, like, look, I think we're good versus California, where I'm at, and Bruce is at, where we have stay-at-home orders that are supposed to go into August. So how different, Andy, has it been really geographically, maybe even more culturally, the way they're approaching it? It, I I found it interesting. Remember when the state started forming coalitions about how to deal with COVID-19? They looked like the old conference map, (laughs) like the the 1980s-era conference map. Like, you had your SEC and your Southwest Conference, and here's the ACC over here. but What's interesting is is conference realignment has made it where it's tough for most of the leagues to deal with that because they are geographically diverse. Like the SEC and the Big Twelve probably have it the easiest because those the states are are fairly similar in terms of politics, ideology, everything else. But if you are the Big Ten, you stretch from Nebraska to New Jersey. If you're the ACC, you stretch from Florida to New York. So, uh, well, actually, Florida to Massachusetts. So I mean, you you've got massive differences in how everybody's handling it. So like if I'm Greg Sankey or Bob Bowlesby with the SEC and the Big 12, I'm not that worried because all my schools are basically on the same page and they're going to basically agree with what needs to be done. But if I'm Kevin Warren at the Big 10 or if I'm John Swafford at the ACC, you know, I'm John Swafford. What Georgia Tech is dealing with is completely different than what Boston College and Syracuse are dealing with. So I've got to figure out some contingencies like what if I have a team that's in a hot spot and they can't play do do we still all play the rest of us uh do we give them their share of the tv money so we can help them out there's a lot of questions that they've got to go through now I, I I think the further along we get the more it feels like most teams can play I think the the last kind of big red flag was was Mark Schlissel the president of Michigan talking to the Wall Street Journal and saying hey I haven't decided if students are going to be on campus yet and I don't see them playing football if we don't have students on campus. So that's something that it is still a possibility that all those leagues have to think about right now. And I think we'll, I think we'll know a lot more in a month uh, where this is going to be at. Look, because even, you know, Ryan, we're out here in California. You know, things have opened up. You can go to the beach. There is more people. It's not like everyone is, is staying at home. So I think after a month of this plus, 
I think people will look at it, even if you look at a case of like, let's say there's a, I remember that photos or video from wherever it is in Ozark, Missouri, of people out and about, you know, if it's after a month of that, uh, you know, a month from that, I think people will look and go, okay, what was the fallout from that? Was there much fallout from that? And I think that after, you know, because it's, this is a virus and, and there's been a lot of tragedies, obviously, but I think people don't, you know, it's like, we're still learning about it. Right. And so, uh, I, I think that's going to tell a lot for also the leadership in college football, you know, like I, I, you know, Andy and I have talked about this a little bit and I, I'm not sure where this fits, but you'd hear a lot of people talk about a second wave of this potentially. And you can also see, you know, Notre Dame, South Carolina, they've kind of tweaked their academic calendars to prepare for it uh, to some degree. And I don't know what, what that, you know, how that would impact it. I feel confident that we're going to be starting. Um, I think the hardest questions on this really beyond just the, the testing protocols is going to be, are there really going to be fans in the stands and are there going to be full capacity stands? I don't doubt that there could be some. And I think Andy did a story on how they would try to sort out who those people are if you're trying to, to get, to get uh, you know, you're a season ticket holder and how that works. But I mean, there's just so many variables up in the air right now. Yeah, I think uh, you, you look at you look at the deal, and there's some places where it just seemed like it, it's going to start on time, and the second wave thing is something that, that is just in the back of everybody's mind. But I think one of the reasons why they want to start on time is because of the second wave, because they're afraid, hey, if we decide to start the season in January, what if that second wave is going on now? Because that, that was one of the more surprising things to me, Ryan, in talking to people. I just kind of assumed at first, oh, they'll postpone the season in January. That way they can say, here's a definite start date. We can sell tickets. There'll be fans in the stands. But the more people I talked to, the more they were adamantly against that. They said, no, 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 there's too many unknowns to do that. We're better off just starting on time and then seeing what happens. Yeah, if every decision is based on could a second wave happen? You know, I don't, I don't know. Forget football. I don't know how anybody can do that. And, you know, like everybody else, I saw the Ozark pictures and you go, okay. And then it turns into look, look, look at all these idiots. And you're like, all right, maybe. And then I saw a headline. It's like a person test positive with coronavirus. And I went, all right, well, is there any way there's a positive out of that? If, if right now we only know of one person or are we saying that it should be like, I, you know, that was, this was just an open-minded a assessment of, of what this is and it's like is do we know that okay these people are idiots for doing this it feels like that but how does that impact like what result could we get from that that maybe we go wait a minute maybe maybe if we only had one positive test for this like maybe something's happened here or maybe there's some sort of development that makes programs feel better about having people actually in stands and i've argued with friends depending on kind of where you're at right where i just go Hey, I don't think you guys understand the SEC. I go, if they, if they say they were open for business today, there'd be 100,000 people in the stadium Saturday night. There just would be. And I think people that push back on that don't understand. Well, I, 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 speaking from SEC country as a guy who went to an SEC school, I think you're right. There'd be a lot of people in the stands. I don't think everybody would show up. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think there'd be, I think it'd be a good chunk that don't show up. And, and it's not it's just human nature. And I think you'd find that everywhere. You, you'd find a, a significant portion of every fan base. is like, you know what? 
uh, not quite ready to do that yet. Now, I, I do think in most SEC states, uh, the idea is, hey, let's get back to normal, get the, the economy moving again. And I'll tell you right now, uh, I'm in Florida. We've got some rules in place, like the county I live in, they want you wearing a mask and, and everything. But, but everybody's moving around. Everybody's going to work. Uh, on Memorial Day weekend, we went, we went down to Fort Myers. It was basically business as usual. So it, it's not there are parts of the country where it, it, it feels different and it, it certainly feels different here than it did three weeks ago. Also, I would wonder of the people who, you know, let's say it's a hundred thousand and I don't know what percentage this is of the fan bases that show up at games are 65 and up. I would guess it's, it's probably under 10%. But when you talk to people and I'm not even just talking about talking to people in football, one of the things that I feel like has come up a lot is, yeah, they're going to have to, they're, you know, they're going to have to quarantine. It's like almost like it's the default. And I don't know how many people who are of that uh, factor into the hundred thousand. My guess is it's not that, it's not a huge number. Uh, I mean, on the alumni side, there's, there, there are quite a few, it skews old. So I can imagine there's, there's some 40 somethings that are telling their parents, Hey, don't you go, don't go to that game, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think that matters where they live. I think that's just because the thing about where I live, the, the messaging has been, hey, look at the numbers. Be smart about this. If you're 70, don't be doing this stuff. But if you're 20, you're probably fine. So that I think you're going to see some of that in terms of if they say, hey, you can come. Now, if they don't say that, if they say you got to be you, you, you've got to go by the social distancing guidelines. I talked to somebody at one school where you know they took their state social distancing guidelines and try to figure out okay how many is a quote-unquote family i'm using air quotes here because obviously they could sit together uh and they got to about 20 percent of stadium capacity and i tell you what you're gonna have some mad people if only 20 percent of the the ticket holders can get in because how do you then divide that do you say okay well all you that paid the most money you're just getting tickets or do you do you, you that paid the most money, you can have tickets to the best half of the games, and the next group will get the tickets to the next best half. It, that's, that's where I'm, I'm ready for Booster Thunderdome to figure out who gets tickets. I'd imagine the best way to do that is just a lottery. You're like, all right, this is, this is how it works. And then if your team gets into the playoff, they have, a, they have a point system where these are the people who would get the tickets to the, to the bowl game. So it, they actually, unlike the pro leagues, actually have a system in place. That could handle that. More with Bruce and Andy, but first, during this time of social distancing, connecting with friends over a beer today looks pretty different. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always been there to bring people together in real life through Miller Time. Miller Time is a moment for people to come together in real life to connect over a few beers, but having Miller Time is tough when you can't be with your people. Um, I'm just excited to go outside. So that's uh, the Miller Lite is there. Also great news. Miller Lite is the beer that makes Miller Lite time possible. Miller Lite is the original light beer that tastes great and is less filling, which means it won't get in the way of enjoying time with your people. Miller Lite, the original light beer. While you're home, enjoy a classic available for delivery today. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. So you had mentioned Michigan and their president had said, 
essentially, and Emmert had said this before too, and I think Emmert was doing it because he knew this quote would play better because there's no way Emmert could say, hey, we don't care if there's no students. Let's get these guys back playing football um, because everybody, like Emmert can't do anything without it being destroyed um, in a lot of circles. So Michigan says, we don't want to come back and have our kids come back until the students are back. And then as you start to go deeper into that, and this isn't really Michigan, but it's like a bigger thing where you go, well, what does students back actually mean? Like lab students back or online courses? Like how much can you play with the, the fundamental belief that students need to be back for athletes to be back? And then you look at the fact as you have that piece, Andy, that the Big Ten schools, the 13 public ones, make over $960 million in football-related income. So uh, I, I think they're going to get real loose with the definition of what students back actually is to kind of cover themselves on earlier thoughts that just sounded good. You know, a month ago, it sounded a lot better to say, hey, we need colleges to be operating before we can ask students to come back and represent these teams. Yeah, I, I think the definition got more flexible as you went on. There was a, a, a call with the vice president. I believe that was late April, maybe early May, where somebody had said, if there's no students, there's no college students, there's no college sports. And then the commissioners got kind of upset about that because they said, whoa, hey, that's, not, that's not entirely true. And yeah, so, so maybe medical students and nursing students are in their labs and, and maybe you know, this group of students is, is on campus, but the, the big business school classes are, are done online. That's, I think, what, what's going to happen. You're going to get that really flexible definition of who's back and who's not. Right. And I had a cynical thought. And, and look, Mark Schlissel, who's the president of Michigan, by trade is an epidemiologist. So I doubt this is what was going through his mind. But if I'm the president of Michigan and I'm trying to get this done and figure this out, threatening football is the surest way to activate the, the political levers in the state. You know? Ohio State's back. They're working out as of June 8th. And Michigan's not. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought of when I saw the differences yeah. there. I so so, so and if, you're the, if I'm the president of the University of Michigan and people are calling, bitching to me about that, I'm going, call the governor. Talk to her. <laughs> Let's, we'll, we'll, we'll get this straightened out. Bruce, did you want to follow up on that? Or, no, um, I mean, I, I, would, I, you know, I, I agree with it. I just think that, you know, like a lot of people I think right now are getting their names on the record and they're going to say, here's – Here's what I thought about this. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, the money is so, so staggering that we're talking about that's involved. Like, like I think Andy said earlier, at some point in the academic year, they were going to get a football season. They may not get a lot of other stuff in, but they were going to find a way to get that in. Now, whether it's going to be a full season, I mean, there's just so much uncertainty to that. But I think you, what you're having is a lot of people, I think, who want to say this is, this is how I felt about it, you know, before it happened. Just let, just be known that this is, this is what I voiced. And I think what's happened, I mean, Ryan, you mentioned Mark Emmert. I feel like we've seen a real, not shocking, but a real absence of leadership from the NCAA when it really would be needed on this. And that's unfortunate. It's not shocking, but that's unfortunate. Here, here's my question, Bruce, because they, they tried to make some unilateral decisions early on when they, they canceled the NCAA tournament and then they canceled the spring sports championships, which th that is their prerogative. They, they run those things. It's like the college world series and the, the women's softball college world series. 
But then the commissioners of the leagues got mad because they're like, why weren't we consulted about this? So I don't, I, I'm, I'm with Ryan on this, you know, talking about everything Emmert says gets destroyed. I don't think whoever's in that job is ever going to be viewed as a strong leader. I think that job is, is, is basically you're a heat shield. You're supposed to take all the, the slings and arrows for the commissioners who actually do the business of, of running this stuff. Yeah, and as I always point out, too, like when Amber first came on the scene, he was really accessible, talked all the time, wanted to talk it out, wanted to talk about all the problems. And then he was like, all right, this is pointless. There's literally, like, it's pointless. Exactly. And there are people that just hate me so much that there's there's nothing I can. And I'm not even sitting here saying, like, I'm taking Emmert's side. It's just a very clear observation. We had him up at ESPN constantly. Go always get him on the phone. And then he's like, there's no point. There's no point in any of this. Okay, so let's let's have a little bit more fun with the specific stuff that you've heard on kind of like, like you have Bama USC game. Bama's convinced they're playing it. USC's trying to say they're playing it, but we don't know. And then it turned into could Alabama play TCU because TCU has the Cal game. And then it starts turning into bigger things of like, well, what does this mean? Because we have a college football playoff we still have to worry about, which I can't wait to get to what kind of arguments are going to be created, real or fake about what this has done to some of the different positioning, what the committee sees with all these different things. So, Bruce, I'll start with you kind of on the Bama-USC thing and then maybe some of the more specific stuff that you've heard on how crazy this could be. Yeah, so about a week before that story broke, it started to get a little bit of legs in the in the South. And I had reached out to somebody I trust on a lot of stuff at USC who had said, this is the first time I'm hearing it. That's not true. And this is a person who would know. And then maybe like five days later, I think Paul Feinbaum discussed it and then Coward went even further with it. And at that point, I don't think there were, there weren't enough people. It was a small circle of people who actually could have said, this is what's going on. And I think right now, like a lot of things, social media and everything else, there's just a lot of misinformation is probably too strong of a word, but just a lot of stuff gets floated around and it gets retweeted and then people discuss it and it's like whoa 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 let's pump the brakes on that that's a little um that's a, i don't think that was as real as people thought it was you know like i again and this i come back to something i told some of my you know talked to some of my fox sports uh you know higher ups that you know we talked some things and what are you hearing and one of the things i've heard a bunch is if people are trying to tell you they know something for certain uh you know in early May, they're kidding themselves or somebody's lying to them because it's just, you know, there was just too big of a big TBD going on. And I think that's, that's kind of how that, that horse got out of the barn there. And then, like you said, I think, I think there was a bunch of other stuff that people kind of ran with after that. Yeah. And, and this, there's still so much unknown. Like I'm sure if you're Ohio state, you're worried, Oh, is our Oregon game going to get played? Because that, that's week two in Eugene. You know, Oregon's governor has been on the record saying, well, I'm not sure there are going to be any crowds. But, you know, maybe it gets played with no crowds. And, and, and I'm going to raise my hand right now and say, no piped-in crowd noise, please. I want to hear everything the coaches say. I, I need that. That would be great doing for me. So, selfishly. Yeah, but almost no every, coach, every coach disagrees with you. <laughs> yes, I know. And that's why I want a parabolic mic right next to them. Well, <laughs> Six feet away, of course, social distancing. But no, I want, I want that. But yeah, there's going to be some weird playoff arguments this year. Because what if there's a, a game that gets wiped out because there's an outbreak on a team? I mean, and, and look, it's not that unusual 
for a game to get wiped out. We've had hurricanes wiped out games over the last few years. These things happen. It hasn't happened in a game that had playoff implications. I think that that's the issue. And it might not happen this year with a team that, that has a chance of making the playoff. But, yeah, the, the randomness aspect of this is can I charts. can I step in on Andy's point there yeah, about go for it. The, the game being wiped out is one thing. It's the other part is let's say that there is a position room that gets that has a bunch of positive tests. That team plays, they lose. Then it's like, is there an asterisk there because you know the star quarterback who didn't play and his backup who didn't who couldn't play uh, weren't eligible to play because of positive tests? So the third or fourth string or emergency guy went in there. And they lost, and then all of a sudden the playoff committee is going to go, yeah, I know they lost, but, and that's, to me, that's more of a, of a plausible hypothetical than, well, the game didn't happen. So, you know, we got a, we have a 10 team schedule instead of a 12, you know, 12 team regular, 12 game regular schedule, regular season schedule. Well, and, and now the committee says they have stuff in place for that and that is why one reason why they have a human committee instead of just a computer ranking is because that sort of thing is supposed to be taken into account and and, we haven't really seen them have to do that yet uh you know the example everybody brings up is is the basketball committee with the Kenyon martin injury on the day before the committee got together and, and seated the bracket so i would imagine that that would be let's say you know Oregon's offensive line doesn't play against Ohio State and they lose by two. Well, guess what? I think that would be taken into account pretty heavily. I mean, if we're freaking out about the transitive property on this team beat this team beat this team beat this team beat this team, and that, but it was it was Saturday, but it was at night and it was the CBS game and it was all these different things. The amount of gymnastics that we'll see for arguments on what was real or what I can't even predict what some of those would even be like do you guys think that the non-conference games despite what we just talked about with Bama and USC we don't have an answer to that necessarily do you think we could see a version of it where all the non-conference games are done which then also leads to the debate about the imbalance between schools that play nine games and don't um like do you think that that's actually on the table that it could just be eight or nine games for these teams Castiglione mentioned that when we talked, that it's still something that they're talking through. But I've not gotten a sense that that's a real possibility from anybody in the last few weeks. For the last few weeks, it's been the season will go forward as scheduled. The games that are scheduled will be played. So I, I think that is an absolute last resort. And, and as someone who hates the conference superiority argument, who thinks it's really stupid most times, that would be the worst season ever if teams only played within their conference and suddenly had to figure out how to, how to see the playoff without anybody ever playing an out-of-conference game. Yeah, and I, I just think, Ryan, there's just too much money that people would, would be, wouldn't leave on the table. The problem, I think, that may come up here or there goes back to the thing about if there's a team that doesn't test or the, there's a school that's like, whoa, the protocols this school is doing. And, and that wouldn't be in an Alabama-USC kind of game, but it could be in a – like I, I talked to a defensive coordinator at a school that is a group of five school, and he explained to me kind of some of the things that they thought they were going to try to do when they came back. And he, he pressed it by saying, look, I'm not in a leadership position, but this is some of the things that, that we're hearing you know, on our, our Zoom calls. And it's 
it comes back to who can afford to, to have some of the procedures and protocols and who can afford, who can't. And that, when it comes back to money, and, and obviously everybody knows that the SEC and the Big Ten are making huge amounts of money, but some of the teams they play, especially in September or in that whatever it is, that you know, in, in the SEC's case in November um, for a weekend, those schools are going to struggle financially with a lot of this because they're already struggling with the ramifications of it. So that's the part where I think it's, it's also fits into the category of a TBD on, on maybe you may have a 10 game season or an 11 game regular season, not a, not a 12 one, depending on some of that stuff. More with guys, but first whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized and actionable insights on your sleep recovery and daily exertion. With Whoop, you get a recovery score each morning based on your HRV, resting heart rate, sleep performance. Uh, I love learning, hey, last night seemed off. Oh, okay, well, you had eight disturbances. And that's way beyond, that's double your average. And it keeps track of all the times you'd kind of jump up and like, hey, what's going on? Turn, and it's actually pretty amazing because the more you learn about it, the more you learn um, it's almost like you go into it, not the challenge of, hey, tonight I'm going to have a better night's sleep because that's probably not the best thing. But it's just always, every morning when I look at it, it's really interesting. The app has built-in features like Strain Coach, which gives you a target exertion goals to work out optimally based on your recovery data. If you're stuck training at home, it's the perfect feature to use, which a lot of us are at home. The app has a sleep coach, which tells you how much sleep you should be getting based on your goals for the following day. Wake up feeling recovered and ready to take on the day. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code Rosillo at checkout. That's R-U-S-S. I-L-L-O, whoop, whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com. Enter the code Rosillo at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter with whoop. Most of the time, your mailbox feels like a fairly depressing place between utility bills, political flyers, and unholy amounts of junk mail. But once a month, you can get excited about Box of Awesome from Bespoke Post. Bespoke Post sends guys only the best stuff every month. No matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear, Box of Awesome has carefully built collections for every part of your life. Um, my Box of Awesome is coming in real handy come gift time my sister was like is there any way do you know anyone that can get me a really solid mixing glass and i was like uh hello he spoke post like i'm on it to get started take the quiz at boxofawesome.com your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you they release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories it's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel anytime each box costs only 45 bucks but has over 70 dollars worth of gear inside get 20 percent off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code russillo r-u-s-s-i-l-l-o at checkout that's boxofawesome.com code russillo r-u-s-s-i-l-l-o for 20 percent off your first box and I saw in your mailbag too, there was a really good question about home and homes. And you could use the Ohio State, Oregon example, where the revenue is usually whatever I make, I make. And then next year you make mm -hmm. what you make. And that could be a major. Has that been discussed by anybody? Or I would imagine that's pretty low on the priority list right now. Yeah, just kind of preliminarily because nobody knows exactly what's going to happen. But yeah, if it, let's say Oregon's in a situation where they're not allowed to have any fans. I wouldn't be shocked because Gene Smith is, it just seems like this kind of guy. Gene Smith is Ohio State's AD. I wouldn't be shocked if Gene Smith went to them and said, hey, look, let, we'll give you a slice of our gate from next year just to try to kind of help make you whole with this deal. Because it, it's, it's not – it wouldn't be fair because if you're, if you're you know, going into next year and things are normal, 
then yeah, the other team's going to get a full stadium and you're going to get nothing. So I would imagine if somebody's affected by that, they probably have some conversations with the other AD and they probably come to some sort of agreement where, Hey, you know what? Maybe we just split this, this, this way, or this is how much you would have made and how much we would have made. And we'll just kind of get the percentages right and, and get you some money. I, I, I've actually been a little surprised at how collegial everybody has been wow. through this sort of thing. I, the, the, the people really do seem interested in working together to make it work. And, and you think about, you know, cause we always talk about them in terms of you know, all their money grubbing and they're trying to take all this money. And I rarely fall on the sides of the schools, the NCAA in this deal, but you think about how much money they just gave up at the drop of a hat because they were concerned about safety. And now that you can say, oh, they're concerned about liability and everything else, but the NCAA basketball tournament makes $770 million in, in television revenue. They just gave that up and they had insurance, but only for about 200 million of it. So that's a, that's half a billion dollars. They just left on the table. So I, I do think most people's hearts are in the right place on this. So as they go forward and some more questions get answered, I think they will probably try to figure out how to help each other out through the process. Bruce, do you think it would even matter if there were one singular voice? Because I know people do love committees. If there were one singular voice, I don't know that that one voice could get any more done because he would still, he or she would have to be sympathetic to every single state, like everything that we're talking about here. So even if there was a commissioner that just said flat out, hey, this is what we're doing in college football, it wouldn't be realistic that all 130 teams could follow the same orders that that person would give out. Well, you'd like to think that if that person was in that pos position, they would, I mean, that would be their job to understand the, the varying needs. I mean, earlier, Andy talked about, look, there are different parts of the country were affected significantly differently by COVID, especially like, you know, when it first really hit here. Um, you know, a, one part of the SEC country that really did get hit hard was Louisiana, especially New Orleans. And you know, so you had people who were directly impacted their families and everything. But then I, I would go to the other part of that. And that's something I brought up a minute ago, which is the finances of it. There is such a gap between the haves, the have a littles and the have nothings um, of those 130 that that makes that that decision really, really hard. However, you're going to decide it. I mean, early on, I remember talking to a coach who thought you would have to test everybody in your program almost daily in camp because of the worry about an outbreak. And it wasn't just for the players, it was for staff as well. Um, and thinking about the money that you know, would be involved. Now look, there's, it, there's more access to testing, but it, the testing, it's not, like, it's not like the testing is free, right? And so I think those issues become very, very problematic for whoever is going to make the decisions because this especially, we're all we're all in uncharted waters with this, especially the NCAA, because you know, like this is this is the worst case scenario. It's a pandemic, and it's like you, know, you can talk about cruise ships, you can talk about uh, you can talk about um, you know seniors' homes, but now also you're talking about 150 dudes around each other, right? And it's like, what do we do to try to keep? Keep, not only keep them safe, but also what Andy was talking about with with the liability involved as you're as you're going forward on a daily basis. It's just, you know, we're. I mean, honestly, as 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 a country right now, we're not there because you know we haven't even you know we just saw a golf you know foursome play golf and it was like great. Everybody loved to see it, 
but this isn't golf and this isn't that. And it's, it's just different. So I think that's, that's why it's so complicated for everybody to kind of power through. The other problem with centralized control is, you know, look, the Carolina Panthers play in North Carolina, but they're not run by the state of North Carolina. They're run by David Pepper. And if you're Roger Goodell, you can go talk to David Pepper and have a conversation. You know, the University of North Carolina and NC State and, and Charlotte, they're run by the state of North Carolina. And that's not just talking to the governor. You know, they've got state legislatures that, that have their own desires and everybody trying to kind of do their own thing politically. So this is where it gets really complicated because, you know, it's, I think we counted it's, there's, there's 43 states represented in the FBS. So, and, and there's, there's public schools from, from 43 different states in the FBS. So you're talking about states that have skin in the game here. And it's, it's very different than Roger Goodell or, or Adam Silver going to a billionaire and, and just talking to them about it because you're dealing with an entire state government and a, a much, much bigger bureaucracy, which that's what makes that centralized control impossible. There's two more things that I want to get to, including kind of like what the day is, like what's the real day. But how bad do you think this is going to get because of that lost revenue, whether you're talking about the NCAA tournament, whatever re vamp version of college football that we have i mean it's still going to be trying as much as they can to possibly protect the tv money maybe there's less inventory but there's going to be less money there's just going to be less money how concerned are ad's with you guys or coaches when they have to make those decisions of which sports to cut because it's going to happen at some of these programs and a lot of it too i would say isn't directly related to this it's that these guys have been spending like freshmen with brand new credit cards with all of this extra TV money, trying to find more ways to spend that money before they give it to any of the players. So some of that's coming back to Burnham as well. And they're going to lose programs. I don't think there's any debate about that. Well, they already knew they were going to probably have to make some of those decisions. Though I think what's also factored into this, you know, a lot of people looked at last winter and said, oh, there's going to be, next year's going to be a huge wave of coaching turnover. Don't be so sure about how many people are going to be able to buy out coaches now, not only buy out coaches, but also be able to afford to bring new staffs in. That's money that probably won't be there for a lot of a lot of programs. The money for uh, for so many other things and people are going to look at it and go, wait a minute, this football coach is making nine million dollars. Yeah, that football coach is, but they can justify to some degree where the money, you know, if you have a great football program, certainly the guys who are making eight, $9 million a year, whether it's Davos, Sweeney, Nick Saban, those guys, the money also goes into the local communities and everything else. I think where it gets really hard for them is the money from the rest of coaches has, has kind of shot up with it. And I think those are going to be really hard decisions. We've seen people already take, take some pay cuts, but I think as they're, you know, as they're looking at it, the conversations I've had with some ADs has been, this is like the elephant in the room to them it, where they're going to make some really hard decisions, but you also have to factor in the TV money is one thing, but then all those other things that we don't know about the re the money that goes into a community, the money that goes, the, the money from the gate, all those other things that they, they think about, not to mention the cost that it's costing to, to, make changes to handle the COVID protocols and procedures, that's another thing that's that's really significant for them that they're going to have to shoulder that obviously they didn't factor in when they were doing budgets, you know, months ago. Yeah, and they're going to have to, to 
cut uh, other sports and you know that that day was coming because if the whole goal was to spend every penny you made which is has been for for years and years so you don't have to give the players then you're eventually going to hit a dip and they're going to figure out what to do now what's weird is and we've talked about this amongst ourselves at the athletic some of these sports that are getting cut your school's not going to be particularly happy with you we were, we were talking to don't ask how we got started in this, but the Furman lacrosse team got cut. And I actually am we fascinated to how you got started on that. But well, anyway. I think somebody knew somebody whose kid w- was playing there, but that had a, a fairly limited number of scholarships. But what it did have was a bunch of full tuition paying students. There were walk ons on that team who wouldn't be going to Furman if not for there being a lacrosse team. So it, it actually like, the school will be mad because they're going to lose that tuition money because yeah. those kids are going somewhere else. So it, it is a weird, the economics of this are very bizarre, but it, it, at the power five level, the schools that, you know, most of these people listening to this podcast are going to care about if they play football this season, they're probably going to be fine. There was enough money in the system. Some schools had enough money in reserve that they, they could get through this without anything particularly painful. It's below the power five level where you see the, the really tough stuff. Okay, final thought on this. What do you think is the date the decision needs to be made by? And even then they can theoretically have one and maybe it's extended beyond that. Which date either the decision needs to be made by or we'll have a better understanding of what kind of version of college football we're getting this fall. I'm thinking mid to late July. So somewhere between like July 15th and July 25th. And that, that gives you a month out from the week zero games to, to decide this is exactly how we're going to handle this. It also gives you at least another six weeks from now to, to possibly seven or eight weeks from now where the world could be looking very different then. I mean, think back to, to six, week, six, eight weeks ago from here, the world looked different. So I, I think, the, the, everybody I've talked to said the, the biggest luxury is time. You know, the more time you can take, the better decision you can make. So I think if you, you get within a month, that's, you've got enough time to make some contingency plans to figure out what you're going to do and say, yay or nay, we're going to do this or we're not going to do this. And at, at the rate they're going, I think what they're going to say is they're going to play a season. It's going to start on time and then they'll adjust from there. Yeah. And I think that that all is going to come back to, if they get thrown some curveballs in here, they're going to have, and, and those discussions I think are kind of, are kind of ongoing, but I think that's the, that's the, that will be the harder part for this, not the starting. It's the, what happens if, or when something, and, and I don't think they know, I, I don't think, and I haven't heard anybody give a strong answer to this on or off the record. I have not heard anybody say the kinds of things that would, that would make them push pause or, or really, shift course in the middle of it um and hopefully it doesn't happen i mean obviously we're all we're all very optimistic and excited that we could get a the sport we love back among you know and other things but um you know we'll, we'll have to see as this you know we're like i said we're in such uncharted waters with all this you can check out both andy and bruce's work on the athletic and hopefully see bruce at a game this fall with his coverage with Fox. Um, as always, guys, can't wait to see you out in the road, and uh, hopefully that's a, that's a reality at some point. So hang in there. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. As always, I appreciate you listening, and uh, especially at the top. 
and we will uh, be back soon. So thank you. Thank you.